Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. Another defeat in a London derby for Fulham. That's no league win in the capital for 24 derbies. And no win at Stamford Bridge since 1979, which, after doing a bit of research, I found that was prior to the invention of the Walkman. That's how long it's been since we've won at the bridge. And I have to admit, I was left pretty foolish for feeling, could this be the day? You know, Chelsea, travel-weary, one eye on the return leg. Us desperately needing a win, but as I said, I was left feeling very foolish after two Kai Havertz goals. And we're nine points from safety with four games to go. With our fellow relegation candidates have games in hands over us. It's, it's looking it's looking pretty bleak for Fulham at the moment. But you know, over the past few months, Fulhamish has become part football podcast, part kind of group therapy session. Here with me on the couch today is is this as bad as it gets, Don Betts? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Can't even blame the ref. It's AF. Hi, George. You're right. Yeah, good man. And another whiskey, please, barman, is Ben Jarman. Yes, thank you very much, lead singer of Sly Jinx. Love that. <laughs> very good. Obviously, Fulhamish are fully supporting the weekend social media boycott that the host of uh, Premier League and Football League clubs have done. So we've been joining the, as well as all the other Fulham fan media outlets, we've not been posting on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook accounts. Uh, we've decided to do this as a mark of solidarity with the players and others within the football industry who've suffered extreme racial abuse online. And we feel that social media platforms have done very little to combat the issue. So as a result of that, we don't have our usual flurry of three red views and there'll be f- slightly fewer questions than normal, but we've had a few trickle in so, uh, through WhatsApp. So AF, would you like to do the honours? Perfect. So we've got th- uh, three three-word reviews today. First one is uh, called Chelsea of Emotions. Very good. Uh, we've got Evicted by Neighbours, which, yeah, it definitely feels like we have been. Yeah. Uh, and then final one completely sums up the game. Might as well end the podcast here. No Fight Club. No Fight Club. There we go. That's the one. It's a, a, a theme that's recurring, I feel. So, Ben, I just wanted to say, so you, you've often said on the podcast that you've been uh, frustrated with the way that Fulham seemed to go out with the attitude of not wanting to lose. On Saturday, we had a bright start. You know, we had early chances from from Robbo and we had even had Anderson taking a pop shot from distance. A welcome sight, but ultimately we haven't been able to maintain the pressure and we were undone by the two goals by Havertz. It's just the lack of goals. Do you think this is due to setup? Or, I mean, this game would suggest that the issue runs a bit deeper as if we sort of come out of the blocks and we're still not able to score. Well, yeah, why do you think we're just unable to find the net when it really matters? <laughs> I think uh, ultimately Fulham aren't very good at going forward. They have a, as you say, like a blistering 15 minutes and then the other team sort of sh- shape up to uh, and begin to understand what they're trying to do. Um, then we kind of run out of ideas and I think that happened again this week. But when you look at Chelsea, they're an incredibly well-coached team. Champions League semi-finalists, 90 minutes away from going to that final with arguably a world-class coach who's come in and turned things around from Fat Lampard. So... It is incredible opposition, but as you rightly say, Fulham, they just don't look anywhere like scoring recently. Um, 
we've done so much to put ourselves within well level points with Newcastle and a point off Brighton at, at one stage in the season. We sort of believed our own hype after Liverpool and didn't ever kick on. We flip-flopped between a five at the back formation and a four at the back formation. We never knew if we were going to attack. We never knew if we were going to absorb that pressure. And I think that ultimately we're going out there with too many mixed messages and not a nailed on game plan that is going to allow us to get a foothold in in many of the games and I think a lot of this tactical confusion or indecision for want of maybe a better phrase is going to cost us in the long run because as I said it took a lot of mental and physical output to get to where we were we've never built on it and I think unfortunately the the morale and the the driver in that dressing room has petered out over the last few weeks. Very valid point, and I look, often look back at the the season that we last went down with the Premier League, and I, I feel like it was one of Djukanovic's shortfalls, and one that ultimately led to his downfall was his inability to nail down his best starting eleven, and that chopping and changing just it sort of breaks up momentum and it, it stops players from developing like a real bond, uh, you know, together. And AF, do you think that ultimately Scott has has gone down that same path? Well, I think it's, yeah, we're definitely switching between, you know, four at the back, five at the back formation. I think to be able to get the best out of any of this team, uh, they do need a, you know, a run of games. Uh, we've seen that one, you know, with the likes of, of Lamina, when he does get a run of games, I think he's looked like one of our best players. Anderson's been there the whole time and the, the, the players that keep getting games, you know, do seem to get better. Um, however, I think when you're starting to bring in, we, we've spoken before on the podcast about who plays in front of players and developing relationships and things like that. On the right-hand side, we've got sometimes it's Olerena, sometimes it's Kenny Tese, it's Bobby Deckwood over Reed. And when it's completely different, it does change the whole makeup of how the team's meant to work together. Mm. They don't seem to have an attacking plan. They do seem to have a defensive plan. But I, I, I don't think it's quite the same as where Djukanovic couldn't find his best eleven. I think Scott has a way of playing to be able to keep the game tight. But I don't think he's developed a method of playing attacking football. We seem to kind of play a bit like Manchester City in a way that... When they're about it's a bit of a stretch, AF. Yeah, no, think. no, wait, wait. It, when where it's about like nil nil, we're playing like Man City, where they kind of probe around a team and they're looking for weaknesses within the team. But the problem is, is we're not technical enough to actually all of our players be able to exploit that weakness when we do find it, and we don't keep the ball well enough to actually do that on a consistent basis. So it feels like we're wanting to be a Man City that is walking our way around teams, finding their weaknesses, and you know coming up with a goal through patient football. But that's also not the way that Scott is setting up his team. He doesn't have the right players to be able to play like that. So, yeah, it's it's really frustrating to watch at this point in time. Yeah, so sort of punching above our weight in the exactly. tactical game and not really having the, the you know the human resources to back it up. I suppose it's just I find it so frustrating. I mean, how many times have we seen sort of? I remember when early days with Lookman and Aina linking up, and we were thinking this could be a you know a really good partnership, and then it just keeps getting chops and changes it just sort of start don't get me wrong I totally appreciate how you've got to you know allow for squad rotation and you know you've got to have people coming in and out but I just I just feel like ultimately it's um it's been to our detriment anyway Dom so Kaivert's doubled his Premier League goal tally against us I mean after his 71 million pound move from Leverkusen hadn't really kicked on but I just think it's just difficult and it carries on with the rich Fulham tradition of players who aren't particularly informed finding their feet against us we sort of Traore got a goal against us uh, for Wolves and scored in about four years what do you think it is about Fulham that leads players invites players to find their feet again we just we will I feel like we just invite them on to allow them to do so I thought everyone sort of spoke about sort of how well we played in sort of the opening what 10 minutes I was like 
the ga- the way the game went was exactly how I expected the game to go. Um, I thought, yes, we played well, but realistically, when in that game did we look like scoring? When I saw Kai Havertz was starting, I, f- I was fairly confident he'd score. I mean, he had a he had that game he get away at Palace a few weeks ago where he played fairly well, and I was like, all right, he'll, he'll probably kick on from here because you know we sort of we I, I understand the for the first goal. The way Mason Mount brings it out of the sky is absolutely phenomenal, but he shouldn't be allowed to do that in the first place. Someone should be closing him down. Some, he shouldn't have that much time on the ball anyway. But it was, yeah. I said I think, well, I think with my my head prediction was two one going into the game to Chelsea, and it was sort of like we just I don't know. As soon as they got the first goal, we were like, oh, they, we the team sort of gave up, and it. You know, we we had such a we had such a good start to the game, and as soon as they scored, we we're like, "Oh, it's it, it's over." Now. I, I understand in interviews, Scott's got to be like, "Oh yeah, no, it's not over yet. We can still win our last four games." Well, it's not going to happen because we've only won five games all season. We still need to win two more games to match our win total from two seasons ago when we got relegated at the beginning of April, and that wasn't even a late start to the season. So, yeah, no, I think going into the game, George, you were probably fearless. Uh, fully optimistic. I wasn't. I was just sort of expecting the game to go exact, exactly how it did. And this season sort of petered out in a way that no one really was expecting after that Liverpool game. And I think that's the biggest problem is these two scenes go, we accepted we were relegated by when we got, probably when we got battered by Bournemouth at home 3-0, which was what, November, November-ish time. Whereas this season there's been that, weird sense of false hope that we could get out of it once once we once we beat Liverpool we were like hang on we like we're what three points off Newcastle here we can probably get out of it and that simply hasn't happened you know the three games I think you will probably look at come end of season is probably that Aston Villa game that Leeds game that Wolves game those Mm. those three games were so crucial to the way like this game realistically away to Chelsea we never win there anyway it's London Derby I mean I think the last London Derby we were in that we won was the West Ham one when Scott yeah, Parker scored. But yeah, it's it. This game isn't gonna isn't the game where it fall apart. Like I think when Newcastle beat Burnley, after, I think that's where it fell apart fell apart weeks ago. But I, I, it is just disappointing that this game kind of went exactly how all all four of us probably how how it predicted that. Oh, we'd we'd probably play well, but when it comes to the actual nuts and bones of it, that we're just not very good. <laughs> I mean, beautifully, a, a very valid point, beautifully illustrated, Dom. I think, yeah, I say I was foolishly optimistic. I think, essentially, the worst thing for me about when your team is going through a relegation battle, obviously, you've got the the, the light of hope slowly getting extinguished. But it's the point for me where it's really sad is when you are no longer looking forward to matches. Because... I mean, let's face it, that's what football's all about, isn't it? You're watching your team, you look forward to, you know, that's the thing in the week that you're looking forward to. And I have to admit, I, I don't know whether it was that I was optimistic, but I was looking forward to the Chelsea game. It was a derby. I feel like they were, maybe there for the taking is a stretch, but they just come back from the Bernabeu. You, you know, they've got eyes on other things. I know they're going for top four, so this was an important game, but they had five changes coming out. I just thought, if we're going to have this crazy miracle great escape it could have started on Saturday but obviously it didn't I mean AF do you agree that Chelsea were there for the taking do you think it was a case of us being bad not good enough or them just being very clinical very good you know top four side 
it's got to be a mixture between both of them. But like it, one of the biggest problems with Fulham is actually that great escape season under Roy Hodgson has set us all up for like overexcitement for the for the yeah. rest of our t- time as Fulham fans. In that if if we hadn't have put that run together there, we we can constantly hark back to oh, you know had to start somewhere. We had that big win over Manchester City as part of the great escape. And when we're playing teams like Chelsea, we're thinking, well, this is where it's going to happen. We're going to start spearheading this. And it's, the hope that kills you. But you need to look at that Chelsea team and go, yeah, they might have gone away to Real Madrid in, in midweek, but they were able to effectively rest N'Golo Kante and bring in um, you know, a new a new midfield effectively. But if you were to play any team that's got a, a front four, in essence, of Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, Ziyech and Mason Mount, who's massively in form, I don't think many teams in this league would be expecting to get a result against that. And I think if they had maybe had Kante in the middle, maybe Jorginho actually playing as well, they probably could have scored more goals than they did. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still going to be a quality team, even looking at their bench. Well, it, so, yeah, but it was only like Billy, it was like it was Billy Gilmore's, I think, first start or second start under Thomas Tuchel, and he just seamlessly sort of just slotted slotted into the team. But I think that's what happens when you get a good manager, isn't it? Right, yeah. you, you get, and it doesn't seem to matter if you swap one or two players in. He, Thomas Tuchel's turned them into a really good team, and. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I actually enjoyed, the parts I enjoyed of the game was actually watching some of their attacking, more technical players playing really good football around us. It wasn't the well. There's nothing to enjoy about them. what we were doing. So I mean, exactly. So you might as well enjoy what Chelsea <laughs> were because <laughs> it's the only thing that made it an actual football game to be able to watch. It wasn't. It wasn't a spectacle. And actually, I've I've watched a lot of it back the 90 minutes on on Fulham, and it's just really a built a boring football game where we sauntered towards the finale. It was a bit like the line of duty finale. You got you build up a lot to it. You start watching it and really nothing much happens in left by the end with the result you probably expected relegation incoming. Right, yeah. I've, I know what you mean. It's it is looking rather bleak at the moment. But Ben, I just wanted to highlight uh so Scott Parker's press conference at the end of the match. And uh, I mean, the thing that we pointed out as well is the, is the mantras that Scott seems to repeat. So put our stamp on the game. We, we can almost do like a Scott Parker bingo. <laughs> and then, uh, so put our stamp on the game. We live in a world where, what are the other ones that they have? But yeah. Fine margins, moments. Fine, fine margins, yeah. Perfect. But this is a statement from Scott after the game. We put our stamp on the game. My team were front foot. They were aggressive. They showed quality and just fell short in certain moments. I always felt we were in the game. We had energy and bravery. I was very pleased. Four wins. It can be done if we perform like that. For sure, I believe. That's what we have to do. We have a chance of beating Burnley. We have a chance of beating Southampton. We have a chance of beating Man United and then Newcastle. I think we can do it. This is the challenge for the Premier League for a team like us. I understand the numbers and how everyone may see it. But anyone watching the game will have seen a dynamic team trying to win the game. I know we can win four games. We have to win four games. Everyone will be laughing at their screens, listening to me talk, thinking I'm living in cuckoo land. Maybe I am. I get that. But until the curtain comes down, let's see. Now, Drew echoes those thoughts. And until it's mathematically possible, mathematically certain that we're going down, he doesn't believe that we're going down. But after the full performance that we just put out, do you believe that if we play the way we did on Saturday for the remaining four games, that will be enough to get us four wins? No. Um, <laughs> so, I could tell as I was asking that question, I was like, is there only going to be one last <laughs> No, it's just like, when he says we're on the front foot, we played with great tempo. Like, what what part of the game is he referring to? Because I'm not quite sure what he saw there. Because I think a lot of it, a lot of the game actually passed us by. And I think that the game was wonderfully managed by Tuchel. And I think it shows the golfing class between the managers that both of these teams employ. Um, uh, I don't know. I think 
I, I love this about Scott because I think he's a very much a never say die person and his optimism flows through the team at points. But I think if he thinks we're going to get four wins out of the next four games, I think he should probably check into some sort of mental asylum. Because um, I'm not I'm not convinced we can get anything out of Man United who are absolutely flying at the moment. You know, they they barely decided to turn it on against Roma and they beat them 6-2. Um you know, Southampton had a great start to the season, have fallen off due to injuries, but they can still pick up a result. Um, Newcastle obviously want to beat us in the final day. Um, they will be safe by that point, but I don't know I don't know where these wins are going to come from. Um, and we've obviously targeted games before to try and win, and we just haven't been able to do it. There have been games where we've desperately needed to get good results, and we haven't been able to push it over the line. The three that Dom referred to earlier, were games where Fulham had the chance to get out of that bottom three and we've just bottled it every single time. And I hate the phrase bottling, but since that Liverpool game, all we've consistently done is try and reach for that finish line and bottle it. Um, it's almost as if like we were transferred to North London and actually became Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> we've lost every game since, haven't we? I, I think we picked up a draw. Well done. Well, against Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Point against Arsenal. That's it. The, re- the rest of the games we've lost, and it's I think, as, as I said, re- relegation isn't pinned on what 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 happened on Saturday against Chelsea. Like that, that was if you when you're going away, Chelsea. This, this Thomas, this Thomas teacher Chelsea, I have ability to make any game boring. Um, mm-hmm. As do we. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it, so 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 it's, it wasn't remotely surprising. Surprising what happened. It was just as 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 I've said and Ben said, it's it is especially that Villa game where we. It, we were winning, and then we just capitulated in the last twenty minutes. You know, if you're gonna, if you if you don't want to talk about other teams, you want to talk about what what how Fulham have bottled it. Essentially, as Ben said, that's the game you you, you speak about because you go one the up. What Villa scored all their goals in the last fifteen odd minutes of the game, yeah. twenty minutes of the game, and yeah, that that's where you can look at it in regard to a in regard to a Fulham perspective, where we completely bottled it, bottled it because. It, that that is that's simply what happens, and you know, I don't. It's not remotely surprising in any sh- way that what Fulham have done, because I mean, look at last season. I know Mitrovic was top goal scorer in the league, and I think he was top goal scorer in all f- four English leagues actually. But after that, I think our top goal scorer was Tom Kenny with eight, and I feel like he yeah. got about half of them in the first two months of the season. Anyway, I think Cav got maybe six. Bobby Reed got maybe six last season. It's not surprising that Fulham have an inability to score goals when you look at our goal-scoring record from last season. Yeah, I mean, we just don't have goals. And it's made me quite sad. I mean, listening to the uh, Unforgettable that we did about the 2000-2001 season, and I mean, it was a bit before my time, but listening to it, I really got a sense of like being there. And I remember it was some of my earliest football memories. I remember like Louis Sahar and, and all of those. Uh, and just watching the highlights, like the, the, just the... The way that we play football, and I feel like that team was the sort of blueprint for establishing Fulham as this fun, attacking, creative force. And obviously, we've seen that most recently with Jakanovic's team. And then I just feel like this team, I just, I don't, I don't ever feel too excited about going in to watch them play. And whilst you know, Scott, he got us up sort of by the skin of our teeth, and then we we've had this sort of very turgid season in the Premier League and do, do you think that we're gonna we're gonna you know the Khans are gonna stick stick with Scott and give him another crack at the whip because I mean logically you think about it and you think right he's he's established the base you know he's developing as a manager and you think 
if I had to, if I was a betting man, I'd say we probably would, you know, have a very decent chance of going back up next year, provided we keep key players and, you know, with all the framework that's already put in place. Or if you're the kinds that you think, no, we want a new start, we want to try and reconnect those attacking values and, and go with something fresh because you could argue he's had his chance. And I, I don't know, what do you think is going to happen, AF? Because it's a, it's a difficult one to guess, really. I think that, I, I mean, I, I personally think that uh, the Khans will stick with Scott. Um, I feel like they did maybe buy into a long-term project with him but I think when we actually came up it's not exactly like we built for the long term we've we've all heard throughout social media throughout everywhere you know the, the talks around loans but it doesn't exactly build for the long term in the fact that we, we had to stay up to be able to keep those players is Scott the right person in my opinion to actually if we do go down to you know build a sustainability to our team to build a an attacking mentality I don't think he's that person you know we've already said in the in the Premier League that I don't see where the goals are going to come from. I don't see an attacking mentality. I think he managed to get us playing together as a team and maybe keep it a bit tighter at the back. But I haven't seen anything that's made me think, do you know what, we have a plan to go and win games. We didn't even necessarily have that in the Championship other than hold on and we will find a goal at some point in time. Um, I personally would like it if we made the switch. I'd wish Scott well. I think he's done really well. But I, I think that it would be nice to get a manager who does play an attacking brand of football that we can all buy into, even when it doesn't necessarily work from day one. Um, you know, actually, I know that, you know, there is the likes of Eddie Howe out there. I don't think he's going to be looking at Fulham. But they there is a, obviously something that has to come from the top in the fact that they have to be told that, OK, you can build a team from scratch. You're going to be given not only the resources to be able to do it with financial fair play. I don't see how that's going to happen. Um, but you're going to be able to build from the bottom. Maybe they want to bring some of the youth players in and build something that might not be the next season that we come back up. But if we were to ever get promoted with that same manager, there's actually a chance of us play, playing an entertaining brand of football that also brands results. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a sort of ideal situation, really, I suppose. But I, th- I feel like the the main thing that I love about Scott is you can tell how much he cares about the club. You can tell how much he obviously wants us to, to do well. He's really invested. And I've got no doubt that he's given, he's thrown absolutely everything that he has within his arsenal, within his sort of tactical experience that he can to try and get us out of the situation. Ultimately, you've got to say it hasn't happened hasn't worked out but the thing that you can credit him with is his well he seems to have the dressing room on board and have everyone fighting well at least you think that but when you watch the display against Chelsea it's just it doesn't do you think he possibly might have sort of starting to lose the dressing room a little bit you've got the loanies who are now looking at their next sort of club and their options in the summer and probably even you know the likes of Mitrovic and so on do you think that maybe this kind of Scott Parker era is coming to an end Ben? Yes and no I think going back to the previous question if you got rid of Scott you'd lose half the dressing room anyway so even if they weren't necessarily lost now they certainly would be if you got rid of him next season or in the off season because I can't remember the amount of people that came out when Scott was appointed and said, this is such a good appointment for us. We all love Scott. We admire him. I think there are definite flaws to him and to his system, as as Adam pointed out. The fact that Bobby Deckard overread is our top scorer and he hasn't, hasn't scored since January, I think underlines that. Um, but I think the argument, and I saw this a lot on Twitter yesterday and I didn't post anything um, just because I, I didn't think it was worth the aggro, but this whole they don't care situation 
really irks me. I don't think there's one player out there that, that doesn't not care about going out and playing football. It's their livelihood. And I get that there are going to be people that their attention might turn to next season at some point, especially if you're a loner, especially if you're alone in a different country like Joachim Anderson is. Um, and someone like Ariola, who we know who's has bought a house in London for the sole purpose of staying either with Fulham in the Premier League if they make it or maybe getting a move into London with another team. I mean, it's absolutely screaming that Arsenal need another keeper because Leno couldn't save anything. So Ariola might end up there. But the the sole argument of they don't care, as I saw so much on social media yesterday, in my opinion, is total bollocks. Like, no one's going to come out and like, no one doesn't get up for a game of football. It's what they love and it's what they do. And I, I, can't, I can't understand that. And it really gets to me. I think we were just outclassed by a better team and a better manager. And I get that some people might take it as if the players don't care because they love Fulham so much and that they would maybe do something different. They'd want to see them flying into challenges. They want to see them running a bit more. But on the whole and the, and the basis of this game in isolation, I don't think you could have asked for much more for a team that was just outclassed by better players and a better manager. I do think that there is something to say for the whole argument where the opening six games are going to fundamentally underline our season but now I think that argument is slightly redundant because of the runs of games we've had after Liverpool have just been even worse as equally shit in terms of the points that we've picked up so I'm, I don't know I'm a little, a little bit illusioned with a, with a few things a couple of weeks ago if you asked me if you, I wanted Scott to say I would have said yeah nailed on and I think that Tony Khan has to go now I think it's a case of like both of them might have to go but I'm not sure I don't think the people on social media are claiming that the players don't care about playing football. I think that's evident. Like, you know, if you're a professional, you, you always want to play matches and get minutes under your belt. I think it's more the fact that they've already got one eye on their next move. They're not fully invested in the club. You'd hope that every blown player that we get in would have that sort of like, this is, you know, the likes of Anderson, you can tell he's, you know. Uh, I mean, Anderson, <laughs> Anderson, that you can tell is fully invested in the club. Yeah, that's because what I'm saying. Because what he puts out on Instagram, you know, Lamina cried on the football pitch. You wouldn't do that if you didn't, you know, back the club and the manager that you're playing for. I get that perhaps someone like Ola Aina is a lot more low-key with what he does, but I think you can tell that he also likes being at the club. He's not necessarily the most vocal, but I think you can tell he loves being there. He loves the fact that his brother's in the, the academy. And I guess, I, I think a lot of the flat goes to, to Zambo because he's got that such language style of play, but I, I do agree he was he was shit yesterday. But I think to say the players don't care is is far flung. Mm. Okay, well, thanks very much, guys. We're going to take a little short break and then we'll be back with a few more questions. And yeah, we'll take it from there, I guess. This is Fulhamish's in-depth analysis of our recent 2-0 defeat at the hands of Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And uh, we, we were just in the break there and the subject of Anguissa got up and Dom quipped that, oh, it's your favourite player, isn't it, George? And, and then... Ben just went offline and we thought that he'd been so offended by uh, the slander against his hero that he'd done a Piers Morgan. But it does bring us on quite nicely because I just wanted to... I mean, yesterday he was he was terrible, Ben. I don't think you can argue that. I, I, I said it at the end of my point just before the break that I, I didn't think he was very good yesterday. I thought he made loads of unforced errors and it's just completely unnecessary at times that some of the things that he was doing. I think at the early point in the season, he was our best player, I think. But recently, his form's really dropped off. I don't know. I think it's really easy to fall back on the COVID thing, but I think he never caught, sort of recovered from that. And I think that 
at the end of the season, we won't see him in a Fulham shirt again. I think that's the thing that bothers me is that I, I get that he's an exceptionally gifted footballer. He's got an immense talent. So inconsistent, though. He, he picks and chooses when he shows up. And also, I just feel like he doesn't want to be there. He hasn't wanted ever wanted to be at Fulham. He hasn't, I don't feel like he's ever sort of demonstrated that full commitment and, you know, he, that he sees Fulham as his long-term club. AF, you, you raised quite a good point about the moments at which he chooses to show his flair. Exactly. Um, you can see him take on most of the team. He, he's one of the best players I think Fulham have ever had until he has to do something useful. So right up until the point that, you know, he'll do a couple of Cruyff turns, nutmeg some people. Then it's like, OK, you can either pass the ball off now or you're definitely going to lose it. And he definitely goes for option two. He'll lose the ball. He could, Especially when it gets into like shooting positions as well. Like when we have seen him take a shot, they're dreadful. And then when he does have an opportunity, sometimes he'll make just a, such a strange pass that you just think unnecessary risks that he's taking. Whereas he could play it a bit simpler and I think his game would improve ninefold. Mm. Anyway, yeah, let's, let's, let's move on. As, as Ben says, unfortunately, I don't think that we'll be seeing him in a, in a Fulham shirt next year, but who knows? Right, we've got a few questions that have come in via email. Obviously, we've not been putting anything out on social media this weekend, so sort of limited on the um, on the listener questions we've got. But this one's from Andrew Stanley. I'm going to chat this one to you, Dom. Sorry if I've missed anything you've done on Metro, but where do you think he'll move this summer? Probably overseas. Worth discussing on the pod? I think so. Where, what do you reckon the future holds for Alexander Mitrovic, Dom? I don't think he's going anywhere. Think he's going to stay? Yeah. Why? Where, where's he going? Who's, who's going to buy him? <laughs> like, he's, he, I think we haven't utilised him this season, which I think you have to put on Scott. You can't just say, oh, he's not, he is a Premier League player. When we, got re- when we got embarrassingly relegated two years ago, he scored 13 Premier League goals. Like, you can't say he's not good enough for the Premier League. He's, he's Serbia's technically slash Yugoslavia now. Technically, they're all-time top goal scorer. So, this idea that he's not good enough for the Premier League is absolute nonsense as far as I'm concerned. I think not getting the best out of Mitrovic this season is on Scott and only on Scott because, you know, he's he is good enough. And I don't... Because of the season he had, he's had, that's why I'm confident he will stay. Because, I, as, I, as I've said, I don't see anyone who's going to come in on buying. I think he likes being at Fulham. I think... What Mitrovic has missed is actually the fans. I, I really, I, I think that is actually one of the biggest things Mitrovic himself has missed because he, he, he feeds off the Fulham fan support when we're at a game so so much. You know, he knows how much we we love the man, and so I I think he's actually going to stay next season. And I think we need to do everything we can to try and keep him because as we saw, if Scott Park, if Scott Parker is staying next season, we saw last season. Well, without Mitrovic, we probably wouldn't have finished in the playoffs last season, if I'm being perfectly honest. Because, as I said, our top goal scorer after him was Kearney with eight. Then we had Bobby Reid on six, uh, Cavalero on six, who, albeit, didn't score after January. So, I don't think we should be like, oh, where's Mitrovic going? I think this summer should be about keep Mitrovic. And I don't I don't think he's going to go. Because I think he, he knows how much he's adored by the Fulham fans. And if he does fire us to automatic promotion next season or another playoff win, how much the fans will adore him for that for staying and doing it mm. once again. So I don't I, I think next season's actually about trying to keep Mitrovic and then trying to build a team around him that is so that is suited to him, if anything. Yeah. I don't think it's about oh is he gonna be off to I don't know, back to partisan Belgrade or is he gonna go I don't I don't think he wants to leave London. He's, you know, he's set his family keep seems quite settled. I don't see what other London team yeah, you know, I, I obviously there's all 
there's I spoke to West Ham fans and he's sort of player they've looked at, but I don't see him going there. So actually, I, I'm I'm not too um, concerned with where Mitrovic could be heading because I actually think he's going to stay. Yeah, well, I, I hope so too. And I, I don't think there's a single Fulham fan who would want to see him leave. I, I think, yeah, I do agree that it's, it's down to the system, which is why he hasn't played well. But Dom, do you think that if we'd have approached this season with a, with a different sort of outlook and, and just built the team around him as we did sort of in the Championship, that we'd be in a slightly better position than we're in now? Yes, because we'd have a striker who can score goals. It's, 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 it's not... Like it's not because he, as I said, it's not because he's not good enough. That's that's that's, sim- that's simply not true. We see he scored five goals in three international games for Serbia in some big World Cup qualifiers. So it's I'm not saying it's on Scott Parker that he's 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 not scored. I understand he he changed the system and we started getting better results and he wasn't fully fit at that point. But you can't just have Mitrovic sitting on the bench and play Josh Madger up front. Mm. Like I understand Josh Madger obviously got two against Everton and scored a penalty against Arsenal. But come on, man, it's. It's, it's Alexander Mitrovic here, who scored, as I said, two seasons ago when we got relegated, when the season started in August, when this season started in September, we got relegated, I think it was the 2nd of April or 3rd of April, something like that, and he still scored 13 Premier League goals that season, which this season he'd probably be in the top, that, that number of goals would be in the top 10, top 15, uh, top goal scorers in the league, because yeah. there's not really, apart from Harry Kane and Mohamed Salah, there's not really anyone who scored like a bucket load of goals this season. You know, Man City haven't had like a thirty goal a season player this season. They've got a lot of players who scoring quite a few. So I think that is where you have got a pin on Parker that he simply hasn't utilised our best striker, and it's something that we have missed this season. If you if you saw under, I know a lot of Fulham fans, some Fulham fans when it came with Djukanovic, obviously in the Premier League, it 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 wasn't good, but Mitrovic was scoring goals and. So I think you've got to look at Scott Parker as to why we, we haven't been scoring goals when we've got a striker like Mitrovic sort of languishing on the bench in a game like Chelsea away. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And I think it will be one of the sort of mysteries and what ifs of this season when we look back is like, why why wasn't he included more? And I think it was unlucky as well because he had that, you know, the the painful penalty miss against Scotland for Serbia that and he just didn't seem confident. And I think that maybe that, added fuel to the fire of him not being played more. It also but, meant you know, Scotland qualified for the Euros, so it, yeah, was, it was terrible all round. <laughs> exactly. I just wanted to ask AF, so we saw yesterday the introduction of Fabio Carvalho playing in an advanced role. Do you think that now, with our fate being all but sealed, is the time that we can start giving some youngsters some Premier League experience, or do you think we still need to focus on trying to stay up? I think it, it seemed to me a bit of a, a strange decision. I mean, we've had, you know, it's not exactly like our wingers and attacking players have been setting the world on fire. And if he, if he obviously have, has faith in players like uh, Fabio Carvalho and, and there are other youngsters that, you know, are pushing for that place, I, th- I would have thought probably earlier in the season, bedding them into that would have been the right opportunity to do it. Um, I don't necessarily think these four games that are upcoming are the right opportunities to be trying out something brand new. Um, but it is exciting to see that they're pushing through. I think next season would be actually more, let's actually use them as some of the basis of the team if they are clearly pushing first-team opportunities and if they're ready for that. Um, but 15-minute, um, you know, kind of what's basically a cameo at the end of the game is it's not really enough time for these players to have, have enough of an impact on a game. I mean, it, it's not enough time for Mitrovic to have an impact on a game and to be throwing in youngsters at that point in time, they might get one or two touches, but it actually puts a lot more pressure on them because they're going to have 
one or two opportunities rather than you know feeling their way into a game understanding where they're going to fit into that attacking system uh, so yeah I don't think it's necessarily the right place to be trying them out. It was exciting when he came on just to see, you know, the odd touches. He, he was actually, I actually found his pressing was really good. He was trying really hard and mm. he, he was even getting the ball off like, um, I noticed he nicked it off the Chelsea defence a couple of times and actually that's probably what our attacking players weren't doing enough of. And if he did, Scott does want his team to be playing on the front foot, I'm sure they'll thrive in that system long term. But it's going to be difficult against the likes of if Burnley are still scrapping, and then we end up with, you know, playing Manchester United after that. It, it's probably not the, the right setting for them to really gain that confidence. We've actually seen with youngsters at Fulham as well. Uh, I remember under some of our worst seasons when they were kind of thrown in at the deep end and they're part of a relegation team. It can actually have a real detrimental impact to their future impact at Fulham because they're not necessarily confident running into next season they've actually had some bad first team opportunities that haven't gone their way and that can really take an impact to the rest of their career so I think we've got to be mindful of that exercise due caution I think we've got a question here from Nathan FFC I'm going to chat this one to you Jarms so question for the pods presuming there is one there very much is what can we do to save our club from embarrassment three seasons Premier League three relegations can't keep blaming managers, in my opinion, at least. TK seems out of his depth and overworked. Is there anything that we can do as a group of fans to change the situation? First of all, I, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things to unpick there. But first of all, do you, do you think that ultimately we, we can't keep blaming managers, Jarms? I mean, ultimately, yeah, I, I think, yeah, we can't we can't continue to blame managers. I mean, fundamentally, you, you, you have to work with the players that are brought in. And if they're not to the correct standard or they don't fit the system, then the blame lies with one person, right? Um, and I think that we have had three relegations in three years and we've we've worked so hard to get back there. Uh, and I do, I said on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, I fundamentally believe that there are so many flaws in Fulham at the moment. There is no no stepping stone from the academy to the first team. We're, we're really lucky that Carvalho made that, that sort of, I think it's his second or third appearance for, for the first team yesterday because so many people from our academy don't do it. You look at Cody Drame, who was meant to be a really big prospect that didn't get anywhere near the first team for us and is now at Leeds and going to break in sooner rather than later, you would assume. I think we lose too many people there. I also think that we don't, we think too short-termist at Fulham. Um, we make too many bad decisions in notably buying Anthony Knockart for £10 million, um, Ivan Cavaliero for £15 million uh, and we don't, re- we don't invest enough in the future. I think there are so many markets that Fulham could go into and exploit and get good youngsters out at affordable prices that they just simply don't do. Um, I can't answer what we should be doing as fans to to make the club better because I simply just don't know. Um, I think that we've made our voice heard on a number of a number of subjects before, um, notably ticket prices. Obviously, you've got the FST survey that go around and they inform the club how, how much of our voice is actually heard um, off the back of those surveys. We simply don't know at, at this point because obviously we haven't been able to go to the game for the last year or so. But I think that if there's enough discontent coming up through the fan base, I think at some point the owners will have to listen. We're just in quite an unfortunate position that the owner and the director of football are are immediately related. Um, and I think that sometimes a rela- that sort of relationship may get in the way of a, of a decision needing, needing to be made. Um but I think the proof will be in the pudding with where the Jags go with their decision-making. If you see Tony 
starting to move around, I think you can expect the same at Fulham. It does feel though that Fulham are definitely third on the priority list in, in terms of Tony's ventures at the moment. Obviously, AEW top, the Jags second. The Jags just been in the draft, obviously. That finished uh, yesterday. And then Fulham just seemed to be lagging in third place with jumping from sort of place to place, jumping from strategy to strategy um, and ultimately yo-yoing in between leagues when, if we're if we're being honest, Fulham are a Premier League team and they should be there for the long term. But we just can't get a footing there because we don't have the infrastructure. I, I just wanted to touch upon something that you said there that was quite interesting about there's no stepping stone between the academy and the first team. If yeah. I mean, are there, are there clubs that do in this integration really well that you would admire and the systems that you'd want to emulate? What would you suggest Fulham could be doing in order to make that transition a bit easier and a bit more fruitful? Well, well, I guess for me, uh, the the example I used a couple of weeks ago on the podcast was RB Leipzig, but that's mainly because I was reading a book on them, and I think, as Sammy said, <laughs> it's probably it's probably a bit too far flung to assume that Fulham can transfer themselves into into RB Leipzig. But I think there are clubs UK wide and on the continent that get plenty of their academy prospects through it's a it's a simple thing of trusting them and you know breeding them into that system slowly but surely and giving them the footing they need to be comfortable and I think that we have a manager in Scott who's used to working with younger players and, and isn't hasn't been afraid to introduce them but I'd just like to see them a little bit more I mean we've got Sylvester Jasper as well who's looking to almost break into that first team we saw him at City in the cup last year and since then we haven't seen him Obviously, we've got Jay Stansfield, who we saw in the champ a little bit. Uh, it's just a case of we just don't seem to be utilising the the fruits of the academy that is notably so good. Yeah, it's true. And we've had so many success stories over the years as well. And this is recent history. You know, the likes of Pat Roberts, Sessegnon Brothers. There is, yeah. uh, you know, we've got one of the best academies in the league and we need to be utilising that because ultimately down the line it's to the club's benefit you've got the, the big transfers that come in and look what Sessegnon did for us when he was you know firing on all cylinders so it's definitely something that I 100% agree that we need to be sort of focusing on and investing more on and you know if if we do go down in the championship next year we should definitely be looked to looking to bring in more players from from the academy and giving the youngsters a bit more of a chance so yeah, right. I just thank you very much, gents. I mean, it's it's been a, a great therapy session as always. I feel doing doing the podcast. It's it's good to get things off your chest. You know, it's important that uh, we talk about these things, and hopefully, you know, you're feeling a little bit better, and the listeners feeling slightly better than they did when they first listened to it. So, on that note, a bit of positivity. Well, it depends which way you look at it, I suppose. But uh, Dom, you can start off with this. So, if we go down, and I'm saying if not when. What away days are you most looking forward to next year? Praying that Blackpool win the playoffs. Right. Because it's, it's one of the best nights out in the country, let's face it. What's so good about it? I've never been to Blackpool in it's, enough. It's Blackpool. That's, 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 that, that's all that needs to be said. Anyone who's done Blackpool knows what Blackpool's like. It's just I'm just hoping we just don't get on a Tuesday night in the middle of November. Right. If we're looking at one to automatically talk up or who we expect to stay in the division, I don't know. Uh, Peterborough is obviously a new ground, but it's Peterborough, so it's not that exciting. Let's 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 be real. Let's be let's be frank. I've been there. It's not exactly. I've been to the place, not the ground. It's not it's not exactly. So, but no. If to be fair, if you, if you look at if you're looking at who in the playoff positions, there's not really a bad away day in there. You've got Lincoln, which is would be a new ground for I think me and most people, unless you're above the age of probably forty or fifty. You've got some. You've got Sunderland, Sunderland. which is always. Which just means you're going out of Newcastle right now. That's 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 what that's that's what Sunderland means. You've got you've got Pompey, which is always 
which is, which is always good fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to next season. Obviously, if if fans but if fans aren't back, oh, next season's going to be terrible. I'm just, that is we haven't we haven't we haven't touched on it in this podcast, but like it's, I, I think that is another thing about things is because it is behind closed doors. I think mm. if, if we could have gone, it would have been a, a different ball game this season. I'm just hoping that, you know, we. I'm hoping I can get to United away for that second last game of the season. Just you know, get one away day out at the season. That that would be quite nice. But no, I reckon if Blackpool could win the playoffs, that would be uh, my ideal away next season. Or with Bank Holiday weekend, or the May of the or the May Bank Holiday. Give me a play. That would that would be lovely. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, gents. Well, thank you very much for your uh, for your time. So um, all that's left for me to do is is thank AF. Cheers, George. Kai Javert, as Ben Jarman has saved his name on the on the system that we used to record the podcast. Thank you very much, Ben. Thanks, George. Cheers, mate. Yeah, no worries. And cheers, Dom, as always, for your for your insights and analysis. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure everyone enjoys my insight. It's uh, so so such riveting analysis as uh, I always provide. <laughs> Talking about why Blackpool is the best night out in the country. <laughs> oh, it's what we get you on for, mate. It's what we get you on for, you know. So I guess that's all that's left is to name the pod. So AF, would you like to do the honours of the of the three that we've received? I'll be honest, I changed my opinion during the middle of this one because I was going to call it No Fight Club, but I think Jarms is right. There was a bit of fight, we just not got enough quality. So I'm going to go with uh, Evicted by Neighbours. Very good, very good. Well, we'll be back next time for the uh, Monday night fixture against Burnley. Let's hope, for the love of God, we can get something from that game. Can't wait. But yeah, uh, have a good week, everyone. Stay safe and we'll catch you soon. Cheers. Laters. Right. Toodles. Toodles.